0: Hello, welcome to the Westside podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Like Josh was kind of saying, I've been working with our uh, youth group here at Westside pretty closely with Kristen. Uh, It's been a fantastic time. We've got a lot of really great kids that really love God and each other and this church. Um, And we've been going over uh, kind of the birth story of Jesus um, and kind of what that looks like. Uh, It's pretty messy. Uh, It's not quite as clean as a lot of us would expect uh, between Mary and Joseph, kind of figuring out what that looks like, um, being unmarried and now having a kid. Um, And just like sticking together through it. Um, Beyond that, Jesus isn't born in exactly like an ideal situation. Uh, There's no room at the inn. So he's born in a manger. Um, And it's it's just kind of a a really cool story um, about how human Jesus really is. um, Even when he's just coming into this world. Um, When we read that out of Luke, uh, it's kind of cool to go a couple pages over, a couple chapters over. um, And look at Luke uh, chapter 2. 42 through 50. Um, Like I said, I work with youth. Um, I was myself a 12-year-old boy at one point in my life. And uh, I think many of you were as well. And if you haven't been 12 yet, uh, you will eventually hit that age. Um, But the story of Jesus um, being lost by his parents in the temple is just so funny to me. Um, I think back to when I was 12 in a grocery store and uh, Fred Meyers, for example, with their toy section. And my mom would be looking at groceries and, you know, shopping as mom does. And I don't care about that. So I would go over to the toys and um, all of a sudden my mom would come around the corner and be upset that I had walked away and didn't tell her where I was going. Um, And if we turn to Luke uh, chapter 2. 42 through 50, we get this story of Jesus doing a very, very similar thing. Uh, It's a little bit more extreme, um, so we'll read through it. Um, When he was 12, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. Uh, After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they did not know. They were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a whole day. Uh, They then began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Uh, And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Then, after three more days, they finally found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone Um, who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. He replies, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Like, it's just such a funny picture that Jesus is just there for four days, like, talking with these adults, and his parents just, like, have no clue where he is. And when they finally find him, he's just like, yeah, of course I'm in the temple. Of course, Mom, I'm in the toy section. Like, where, where would you think I would be? And that, that, just, that image of, of Jesus as an ordinary child... Um, but also knowing like, his full divinity, the divinity of God. Um, the, the fact that we get this picture of Jesus as a child is very, very unique and very special. Um, it, it reminds me that as we are humans, Jesus was also human in every single way, from a baby to a 12-year-old boy to a 30-year-old man when he starts his ministry. Um, through that time, like there isn't a lacking that he has. He experiences everything that we experience uh, and more. Um, and, and within that, I'm reminded of our, our call to be ordinary. Um, we've been going through a book, uh, the staff team, uh, called Embracing Obscurity, um, Becoming Nothing in Light of God's Everything. Um, and it's just such a, such a powerful reminder that we are nothing when we're comparing ourselves to God, to Jesus. Um, and Advent, the holiday season, gives us a really, really uh, unique, powerful time to analyze this. Um, With all that being said, uh, I think a good place to start is comparing the extraordinary in our lives based on what the world around us tells us that we need to do, or who we need to be, what we need to have, um, and then comparing that with our call to be ordinary in the Bible. Um, I kind of started with three different uh, aspects of how the world expects us to be extraordinary. Um, The first one being wealth. Um, I think it's really important that we analyze um, when we have riches, and when we have money. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing to have money. What I think is the issue is how we're submitting ourselves to God when we have said money. Um, I said wealth or extra um, because I think even in situations where we don't have a lot of money, um, as Americans, we're very, very blessed to have a lot of time, a lot of resources beyond just money, even just a home to have people over, um, and how we use that to, to further the kingdom is really, really important. The world tells us that we should chase after and scrape and work as hard as we can to be as rich as we can in many different ways. Um, beyond that, there's a, there's a thought of knowledge having this like extraordinary nature to it as well. Um, a lot of us go to school um, beyond just like the first 12 years um, of school. Uh, when we're 18, we go to college and we're expected to get this higher degree. And then beyond that, a lot of us are expected to get a master's degree or a doctorate. And there's, there's a lot of emphasis um, based on being as knowledgeable as possible. Um, again, I think it's important that we question, are we drawing, drawing value from how much we know and then taking that value and comparing it to others? Um, I will graduate hopefully in the spring with a bachelor's degree, uh, first in my family. And that does not make me any better than my brothers who have not done so. Um, That doesn't make me any better uh, or more important than anybody in the room that has not gone that same route, that same avenue. And I think it's important that we recognize that. Um, The last thing that I think the world tells us that we need to have is power. Um, Beyond just being rich and beyond just being smarter than others, um, I think there's a a desire um, for us to pursue having power Whether that's like pursuing positions um, or pursuing opportunities to have power um, or authority over others, Um, if we're doing that out of a selfish or malicious malicious intent, um, obviously I think we can all say that that's pretty uh, wrong and anti-gospel. So um, leading into kind of the main section of this sermon, we've analyzed what the world tells us we should be, Um, and the Bible says a lot of very, very opposite things. Um, I like to think of the freedom of the gospel, um, and we get a really great example of that in the yoke of Jesus. Um, we see this in Matthew 11:25 through30. Um, it says, "At this time, Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord, of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them them to the little children." Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. I love the idea of Jesus' yoke. There's a couple of things that I, um, as I read the last two sentences, um, I really grab and want to hold on to. Um, The understanding that Jesus' yoke is lighter than the world's yoke does not mean that it is free of burden, um, and he recognizes that. Um, He says, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is still a sense of burden under Jesus' yoke. However, that burden is significantly lighter. Than the burden that the world places upon us. Um, he also, the Bible has a, has a pretty amazing job of uh, using very ordinary people to um, do some pretty miraculous things. Uh, when we're looking at the Old Testament, I like to think of three main characters. Um, you have Ruth and her desire and willingness to stay with Naomi and redeem her family through Boaz. And just her commitment to that, Um You know, she's not gorgeous. There's nothing in the Bible that says she's like above beauty. Um, She's not stronger than anybody around her. She's not smarter than anybody around her. But her willingness to show up in the fields and just do what she needs to do to help Naomi, to help her, leads to the redemption of Boaz or through Boaz. You also have the story of Rahab, um, who is a prostitute that the spies um, of Israel come to in Jericho, and she gives them housing, she hides them from the city guards and from the king, and through her obedience, and through her fear of God, um, the army of Israel is able to take Jericho. Um, she shows her, or she shows them the weak spot on the wall that she can offer them, um, and they use it to take Jericho. Lastly, we have Moses. I think Moses is a really, really interesting character. Um, he's sent to um, Egypt in a basket. He's received by the um, pharaoh and he grows up in the temple of Egypt, in the kingdom of Egypt, being a prince. Um, And through this time of princehood, um, he's seeing the Hebrews under persecution um, and it's not until he finally flees from Egypt and leaves behind his royalty, his riches, his power, his knowledge that he finds the burning bush when he's just an ordinary nobody farmer in the middle of the wilderness. God finally calls him um, to do what he needs to do to free his people from from Egypt. So you have these stories of just ordinary people, right? God calls them to do extraordinary things for him, for the kingdom. But there's nothing extraordinary about those people when they get the call. We can look to the disciples in the uh, the New Testament as well when we're thinking of examples of ordinary people that do extraordinary things for God. Seven of the twelve disciples were fishermen. Um, They weren't super rich, probably. Um, they didn't really hold a whole lot of status in society at that point beyond just providing food. Um, Matthew was actively what would be considered like a villain as a tax collector, somebody who was probably corrupt in his manners of taking money from the Israel uh, Israelites, the Hebrews. Um, Judas was a thief, which is crazy to me um, that he was like actively the like, holder of the money in Jesus' ministry and would just like take when he wanted to. It's, it's just wild that he's involved in the way that he is. Um, and then lastly, Simon being a religious anarchist or a zealot in that time, actively pushing the Jewish people to rise up against the Romans. Um, these are people that are, you know, we would look at these people in society today and say they're not extraordinary at all. They're just just people or even less than that. And lastly, uh, in the Old Testament specifically, we're talking about Job and God's revealing. Job, you know, obviously has a bunch. God takes it um, away from him to prove Job's faith. Uh, And it finally comes when Job breaks down and really starts getting at God for everything that's happening. And God reveals Everything to him, everything he's created, everything he does, everything he is capable of that Job has just like no, no way of doing or understanding. Um, And Job finally responds and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak... I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Once Job understands that he's not in charge, that it's not his life, that God has total control over everything, he can finally become nothing, and he can finally become ordinary and find joy in that. The last part of the Old Testament, or the New Testament, excuse me, um, that I've thought about a lot this past week uh, is the parable of the prodigal son. Many of us have read that story. We all know it like the back of our hands, but um, in this story, there's, there's two brothers. One brother wants his inheritance right now, and his father grants it. Um, the younger son goes off and gambles it away. He wastes it on prostitutes. He wastes it on just like chasing what the world has told him is extraordinary and when he returns his his father returns and welcomes him with joy with a party with a feast Uh, and the older brother um, like many older brothers would be uh, is pretty upset by this Um, he says to his father "Um, look these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends When, I, when I've read this story before, I, can, I think we can all recognize that often we are the younger son and often we are the older son. In this, I think there's a, there's a very clear call to be ordinary when the father replies to the son by saying, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Like just, just thinking about that, the son doesn't recognize that everything that he's received is extraordinary. Extraordinary in comparison to what his brother just received, he feels wronged. And I think if we can find ourselves in this story and relate to the older son and relate to the response of the father to the older son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. We already have everything that God has promised to us. There is nothing that the world can offer us that is going to come even close to just like the smallest bit of grace, the smallest bit of love, the smallest bit of joy that we get when we follow Christ. Our call is to be ordinary in the light of an incredibly extraordinary God. That, like, it, I just want that to like sit with us, that like we are nothing in comparison to what God is and has done and will do for us. We're going to talk about our extraordinary God now. In three different ways. Um, he is extraordinary through his creation. In Genesis 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated The light from darkness. The earth was without form and void. There was nothing. Just just nothing. And the fact that like God just makes whatever He wants. There's nothing there. It it's just like it blows my mind how extraordinary this is. When I I sit down to write a paper, not having done any studying, I, I can't do it. Right, like I just can't. If I if I go and try to build, um, like this summer I try to build a cat tower for my cats, the amount of time that it took me because I just have never done it before, and and just God just does it. He just does it. It's just easy for him. He 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 is extraordinary beyond our comprehension. There's just it's it blows my mind, and I hope it blows your guys' mind too. Um, next in the promise and promise, and personability of our God. Um, when I think to myself, I haven't studied super deep in a bunch of other worldly religions.
1: Um,
0: however, I don't think that there's any comparison to the gods in the Buddhist faith, in the Hinduist faith, in, um, in a lot of the world's faith. There's no God that is as human as our God. Like, he came, he came to the world as a human. He came to the world as a human. He lived among us. Um, he struggled with everything that we struggled with. He was tempted, just as we were tempted, even more. Um, the night before he was crucified, he was beyond anxious. He came to God three different times in prayer, begging that he didn't want to do like he didn't want to die. He's he's incredibly personable. There's not another God that is spoken of that that comes anywhere close to the person of God that we have. I love the passage in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a God that we can come to with everything at any time of the day for our whole lives. He's always going to be there whenever we need him. Um, He's there when we don't recognize that we need him. He's there when we don't want him. He's there. He's never left our side and he never will. Lastly, since it is the season of Advent, we're celebrating the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it's important that we recognize those two aspects. Jesus came as a son, and Jesus came as a Savior at the same time. There is no human, divine, it's always there. There's not a single situation in Jesus' life where there's a separation there. Um, When we're talking about the Son of God, When he comes to, um, excuse me, when Elizabeth uh, heard about Mary's pregnancy, um, they visited each other. And it says in Luke chapter 1, 41 through 45, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what she has spoken to her from the Lord. Yea, indeed. I don't know who was that, who said that, but yea, indeed. right? Like, it's, it's extraordinary that in the womb, people are already praising Jesus for coming. He, he's not even like something you can look at. He's just like a thought that like in the womb, there's this baby and he is the savior of our world. And thank you, Lord, for that. To connect, he's also our savior. He came as a baby, just a, just a powerless baby. He's our savior as well, as, as Elizabeth points this out. Um, in Luke chapter 23, 23, verses 39 through 43. Jesus is on the cross um, and alongside him are two criminals. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other criminal rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal then says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replies to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminals recognize who Jesus is. I'm assuming this is the one of the first times, if not the first time, that they've ever even seen Jesus. And they're being sacrificed right alongside him. Jesus' response here is extraordinary. It's not an ordinary response. These are two criminals who, um, as they recognize, they deserve this. And they've done wrong, and they deserve this. One criminal also recognizes that Jesus does not deserve this. And instead of Jesus saying, yeah, you guys deserve this. I'm just I'm just here to save others. Um, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus has said that to all of us, and a lot of us have accepted that he has said that to us. And even to those who haven't accepted that he said that to us, the offer is still there, and I believe it will always be there. It's so nice that our call is to just be ordinary. It's so nice that we don't have to be anything extraordinary. Our God is extraordinary. The book that I was just talking about, Embracing Obscurity, that, that, that subtitle of Becoming Nothing in Light of God's Everything, is unbelievably freeing for me. I will never be the smartest person in this room. There will always be somebody that has read more, more theology, um, that has broken down more theology than me, that has had hard, harder conversations maybe than me. But my call to become ordinary and to be ordinary is just what God wants for us, for me, for us. He's not asking us to do anything other than love him. Our charge is to find joy in the yoke of Jesus. It's lighter than any yoke that the world could have to offer us. The yoke of Jesus asks us, why work so hard at becoming so great when I am already great? When the world tells us that we need to be powerful, rich, wise, important, The yoke of Jesus says you are already all those things. Through him coming as a baby, as a nothing, he becomes everything in our lives. Jesus grants us joy through the knowing that he is all. He is everything. And we can find joy in knowing that through his birth, his life, his death, an eventual resurrection, that we have everything in him. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, Yeah. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Um, I thank you that through everything, um, your spirit intercedes. Through um, moments of weakness and trial and waiting, um, and just moments of ordinary life, Um, you are a part of all of it, and you are so much stronger than anything that we will ever face. Lord, I just thank you for coming as a baby, um, living your life with all of us, experiencing everything that we have. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice of your son, and the salvation that we get from said sacrifice. Lord, as we enter into this week, um, I pray that we can just remember to love you, to love each other, um, and to just find joy in the yoke that is light. I pray all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.